evening, everybody. Welcome to Leadership Night. Are you excited to be here? Yes. It's an exciting time and the season that we're in at Life Church and all the things that are going on and leadership development is at the forefront of what we need to be focused on in order to chase down and fulfill this incredible vision that God has given us. And we're excited about that. And I believe tonight will really uh, be an awesome time of just growing together as leaders. You know, Pastor Josh was talking just a little bit about fall is coming and the seasons are changing. And it's interesting, you know, I think a lot about seasons and I think of how, you know, we see summer and the heat and then those hot days. We think of summer and then, of course, whenever we see the leaves on the trees, different colors and fall and we think about fall and we see the snow on the ground, we think of winter. We see the the flowers coming up and the trees blooming, we think of spring and kind of have a tendency to identify the seasons by those dates, those starting points of when this day actually comes that that season starts. But, you know, it's interesting that really things are transitioning all the time. There's not really a stop, standstill moment when you look at the way God created seasons to move. You know, you see in Genesis 1, verse 14, God created the seasons. I mean, he himself made those things to be. And so obviously he had a distinct purpose in it. There was a a beauty that it brought to the earth. But I believe that it speaks a lot to us today in terms of how we are to approach our life. Because I believe our lives happen very much in seasons as well in the sense that they're always moving. We're always coming out of things and we're always going into things. Would you agree with that? And so what I want to talk to you about this evening is a very specific kind of season, if you will. It's something that I'm speaking from my own personal experiences and from my heart. This is a message that has deeply affected me and God has really revealed a lot of things to me that have significantly helped me in my life and in my walk on this earth and my ability to be effective for God and ultimately in my ability to understand his purposes and his will for my life, which are obviously the most important thing, right, for us all to to want to figure out is what does God have for us? What does he have planned for us? If we live out our purpose, then we know we're going to experience the most joy and the most happiness and fulfillment that can be brought to us. And as far as this being leadership night, this type of season that I want to discuss, it's, it's really more uh, what I would call, in fact, this is the title of my message, is a season of transition, seasons of transition. And, you know, I will relate that to just kind of describe that type of a season, uh, and I, I believe some of you are probably going to feel like you're right in the middle of this. Some of you have been in it, and some of you will, if you haven't, you will be in it. Um, but the way I would describe it is it's, it's kind of like the, the doors are closing on an old season, an old thing. It's almost like you know God has even maybe showed you and spoke to you, given you a promise. You know that you're headed in a new direction. You even have some of the, maybe the details God showed you how he was going to use you or what types of gifts are going to begin to come to the surface and are going to begin to flourish for you. And so you have this picture of it. You can feel it. You're excited. You can't wait for it to come. You're ready to step out of the old season that you've been in for a time. 
But it's almost like there's this valley that you have to walk through, this lull, this transition that often is a whole lot more delayed than we would have it to be ourselves. Does that make sense? You're going through this season of transition, and it's in these times, in these moments, and going through this over the last 10 years, I've been through what I would explain to you as four maybe five major seasons of transition, and I've started to see how this happens. I used to think that it was just unique to me, and then I began to, through talking to people and then getting into ministry, realize that, whoa, everybody goes through this. Well, yeah, of course, because all seasons are transitioning all the time. It's just that we don't always necessarily see the transition. Sometimes we see them at the height of their uh, expression, and so we identify them clearly for what they are. But in those times whenever summer is fading and the days are getting shorter just a few minutes each day and fall is coming in to be, we don't necessarily see all of the little inner workings that are happening behind the scenes, right? So I have seen a lot of people, as I begin to look at these types of seasons, that have really just almost wrecked the course of where they were headed and where God was going to take them. If anything, they've significantly delayed or stymied the process and the, the effectiveness that God was going to use them for the things that he wanted to accomplish. And so as a leader, I believe tonight is all about us getting a very good handle and understanding on how to continually just walk through the seasons of life living in the, the heights of the moments, but also transitioning and just never really losing pace with the rhythm and the pace that God is wanting to take us at. That we as leaders must have a sense of understanding, for if we are to have understanding of a matter like this, then we will be able to walk out the purposes and the plans more effectively and more, more smoothly that God has for us. But also as a leader, it is critical it is critical that we understand this not only for ourselves, but that we may help others to walk through and get through these periods and these times of transition that could ultimately, if not walked out properly, wreck their entire life or their purpose that God has for them and, and change the things of, that God has for the kingdom through their life. And so what I want to start with is really just some of the common temptations and mistakes that people will often make when they're going through these seasons of transition. And first of all, it's important to understand that we, we got to realize that the scenery is always going to be changing. There's always going to be new plants popping up. There's always going to be new animals being born and animals dying off. There's always going to be people coming in and out of our lives. There's always going to be a change of scenery. We just have to accept that. You know, in Genesis 8.22, God says, While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. He's just basically telling us it's going to keep changing all the time. It's just going to continue to change. So the temptations that we face, number one, is we have a tendency to lay hold too quickly of the thing that God is maybe giving us a glimpse of that he's bringing us into. 
We have a tendency to lay hold of it, to put our hands on it just a little too quickly ahead of the pace that God is wanting to move us at. Proverbs 20, 21 says, An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. It's, a, it's so good to be excited about the things that God is showing you that he's going to use you to do and the, the things of your life. I, I love it when I get new understanding about what God is is wanting to do through my life and how he's wanting to use me. But I've just always got to keep Matt in check a little bit, you know, because I'll have a tendency to get a little hasty and just kind of grab that thing, not out of an unnoble heart or a, a you know, unworthwhile thought or purpose, but just mainly out of excitement and zeal for walking into the things that God has for me. But we've got to understand that we cannot be too hasty or it will not be blessed in the end. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel is telling Saul, he's giving him basically instructions to go down to Gilgal, and he's saying, you know, wait there for seven days, and then when I show up, we're going to make sacrifices to the Lord, and we're going to worship, and then you're going to go, and you're going to defeat your enemies. So he had this specific instruction. If you obviously understand that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord, that the words that he was giving to, to Saul were given to him from God. So they were instructions from the Lord of what he was to do. But what does Samuel do? If we go to first, or what does Saul do? In 1 Samuel 13, verses 11 through 13, Samuel sees that Saul has taken it upon himself to move too quickly and take action before he's had a chance to get there and make the sacrifices. And so Samuel says, what have you done? Saul said, well, when I saw the people were scattered from me and you didn't come within the days appointed and the Philistines were gathering together at Michmash, then I said that the Philistines are going to come down to me at Gilgal and I've not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. It's interesting that we can feel compelled, but that's not necessarily the voice of God. I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering and Samuel said to Saul, well, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God and for now, the Lord, will, for the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Wow. Hard to even wrap my brain around the fact that if Saul wouldn't have stepped out on his own and got ahead of what God wanted to do and how he wanted to do it and the pace that he had planned, that David might not have ever come into the picture. It says here he would have established Saul's kingdom forever. But then he goes on to say that because of this, that I now seek for myself a man after my own heart. So it was almost as if God moved, and, it, and he, obviously all of good things work together according to those that love God. And God has a way of making all things work together for good. But it's almost as if he moved in such a way that Saul stepped out of and screwed up the, the purposes and the plans that God had for him. Why did he do that? It's interesting. He says, number one, well, the people started to scatter from me. See, when we become image conscious and we start to get a little too concerned and we make decisions and we take action based upon what people are thinking or seeing in us and how they're really viewing us or if they're going to continue to follow us, image conscious can get us outside of the rhythm and the pace and the plan that God wants to move us in. And I'll just say to you and challenge you, who really, you should care not what anybody thinks if it goes against the way that God is choosing to work the things out for you. If there's any dis, 
continuity there and it doesn't line up with each other, then man, I take the things of God and that's just going to fall where it falls. I mean, I believe they'll be back and if they're not, I'm better off for it. You get too image conscious. And then the second thing that Saul does is he gets intimidated by the enemy. He gets intimidated by the enemy. Well, they're, they're, they're getting together. They're rallying. They're going to come down and they're going to attack me. God already promised you that he was going to deliver you. He's going to take you through that. Why would you need to put your hand to it and do it a different way? Because he got a little overwhelmed by the intimidation factor, by the fear of the enemy. If the enemy will try to use intimidation on you, any chance he can get to get you scared, to get you to jump, to get you to move on your own and not at the pace that God is going to have you move. Steady at the helm, right? having our feet planted on the rock at all times so that we can't move. You know, I think about as far as just the patience, and man, what about Noah? You know, 120 years he built that boat, preaching to the city and everybody of what was coming. Eight people got saved. Eight people. And it took him 120 years to build a boat. You think we struggle with patience. I mean... You know, I mean, I give that guy all the credit in the world. To that, to me, that is just magnificent. The ability to walk in the pace of God. I'm sure he was wanting to jump out of his flesh in his flesh every day. And enough, you know, what is these people are crazy? It's and every, you know. Anyway, another temptation mistake that we often make is we have a tendency to focus a little too much on what's ahead than what's right in front of us. You know, Psalm 119, 105 says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And God gave me understanding on this. And he said, you know, the lamp, the lantern is really only meant to illuminate short distances. It's only meant to help you to not run into a tree or fall off a cliff or fall in a ditch, but it's not going to show you what's a mile up the road. Now, the word is a light to your path, but it's kind of like just shining a light on the distance ahead. You can kind of get a picture. You can see a little bit of what's coming, but you don't necessarily have a totally clear picture until you're right there of what's actually in the road. But what we have a tendency to do is we get a little bit of light shown on, the, on what's ahead, and then we begin to focus so much on that that we're not necessarily continuing to walk out wisely and responsibly the things right in our path before us. Another mistake that often gets made is that we have a tendency to begin to focus a little too much on what it is God wants to do through us as opposed to just who he is being in us and to us. You know, we see the, we see, look, I'm just, we're just being real here. We see the gifts that God has given us and the things that they can be used for for his good. And we get excited and zealous for the things that God is going to do. But if they're not necessarily being utilized or, or implemented or carried out frequently enough for us or you know, we don't get to experience that usage often enough or quickly enough, all of a sudden there can be a level of frustration that sets in. And we get a little disenchanted or discontent. And we just stop focusing as much on God and being in his presence and who he is actually to us. And we get a little bit frustrated for what's not happening through us. You just can't put 
more focus on that and too much emphasis on that, most certainly not above the importance of being in the presence of the Lord and just allowing him to be your joy and his grace to just be sufficient for you and nothing more that you really need. It's great to be excited for those things, but it's not good to allow them to cause you to become discontent and and disillusioned or distracted from just being in the presence of your Father. You know, another temptation is that we have a tendency to maybe pull back during that valley, during that time of transition, to sort of pull back and almost reserve for what's coming. It's almost like we, we don't necessarily think that those gifts and talents have a whole lot of value right now anymore. So we're just waiting for that next thing to come. And then, boy, when, we, when I get there, boy, I, you see, I'll be going. I'll be hitting the ground running. But for now, I mean, it's just, you know, I'm just here, you know. Well, Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with the same measure you, measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He's telling us, you don't have to worry about running out. Give it all you got right now. Just fill you back up tomorrow. Why would you hold up? Why would you play scared? Why would you try to go into preservation mode? I'm the God of unlimited supply. Rivers of living water flow from me. What do you need to even worry about that for? Continue to let it come out of you. Don't hold back. Pour it out. You know, I was thinking on this one day, and I was reading in Matthew 25 on the parable of the talents. And Jesus gives, or the, the master gives the talents to the three servants and says, that, you know, use this wisely. And then he, he goes away, and the two servants d- did well, and they brought an increase. And the third servant, he just hid it, and he played scared. He didn't use it, and master comes back, you know the story. He obviously uh, commended the, the two that brought the increase, but he basically rebuked and condemned the one that hit it and do anything, didn't do anything with it. And God just, just spoke to me clearly, and he said, look, during the times of transition, and I say that in the times of transition because often when we're not sure why we're not there yet and what's taking so long, it almost seems like the master is away or not close. He's a little distant from us, even though we know that that's not true. But maybe we don't necessarily feel like he's right there giving us the answers all the time reassuring us all the time and when the master is away the talents that you've been given are still meant to bring an increase during the valley of transition and during the time of of in between your talents are still meant to bring an increase it's interesting that he calls them talents in the currency exchange but we've all been deposited we didn't earn them they were given to us with gifts and talents and abilities and God says, no, 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 I don't care if you feel like, you know, you've got all the answers and all the understanding. I don't care if you feel like you're stepping into things one after another. Your talents and gifts and abilities are meant to bring an increase and bear fruit every single day of your life. Every day of your life. Another temptation is to grow weary and get tired just in the process of waiting. And in Galatians 6, 9... God says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. It's easy to get a little bit tired when we're going through that transition sometimes, and it seems like the valley is just stretching out and stretching out. But, but look, Matthew 11.30, Jesus tells us, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
if you rest in him and you abide in him and you put being in his presence and spending time with him and fellowshipping with him as your highest priority, then any of the burdens that you would otherwise face, they're his burden and his yoke is easy and it is light and you won't feel the pressure and the weight of those things that you do when you're trying to walk through it on your own and outside the presence of your Father God. You know, another thing we often will do is, uh, well, let's read in John 18, 11. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? You know, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and the soldiers come and they lay hands on him and they're getting ready to take him to be crucified. And Peter Good Peter, you know, loves Jesus. He pulls out his sword. He cuts off the ear of the guardsman. And, and Jesus, what does he say? He says, put your sword away. Am I not going to walk through the plan that my Father has given me? Should I not carry out the purpose that I was brought here for? See, often we will be faced with an opportunity to circumvent the difficulties and the trials that are the necessary parts of our path with a, an easy way out. And it's also uh, very fascinating that it, it happens through somebody like Peter. It's not like an evil person tempting Jesus away, like when the devil tempted him, but it's, it's Peter loving for him and caring for him and wanting to try to help him avoid what he was getting ready to go through because he just saw it as pain. But Jesus understood that he had to go through that valley, that difficulty, that trial in order to carry out the work that God had for him because he understood, he had clarity of purpose about what it was that Jesus was having or that God was having him to do. And so often our people that love us and care about us, you know, we, there can be opportunities to circumvent, to kind of go around the difficulties that, that lie in front of us that we just have to walk through to get to the place that God has prepared for us. It's interesting that in that time of adversity, and this is a, a good lesson for us, is in the time of adversity, there is still clarity of purpose if you're listening to your Father's voice. It can be as challenging and as difficult as you've ever been through, and you'll face that. But if you're, if you're listening to your Father's voice and you're seeking Him and you're just desiring and hungering to be in His presence and know His plans for you, then you will have absolute clarity of purpose of where God is going to take you. You might not know how. You might not know what you got to go through to get there. But you will have clarity about what your purpose is, and you will not deviate from your course. So some things that will help us have a proper view about this, these seasons of transition, these valleys that we will go through to get to the mountains that God is taking us to. Having a proper view. In Exodus chapter 40, verses 36 and 37, it says, Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all of their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey until that day, uh, till the day that it was taken up. You know, the cloud that's over the camp of, over the tabernacle and the camp of the Israelites as they're in the desert represents God's presence. He's there. He's 
with them in that tabernacle. And so if the cloud doesn't move, they don't move. And if the cloud moves, they move. Pretty simple, right? They stay wherever God's presence is. Numbers 9, 22 and 23, I read this, and, and all of a sudden it began to, to give me more revelation and understanding with this first scripture I read. We'll read Numbers 9, and we'll actually read just uh, verse 22 and 23. It says, talking about the cloud, whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. It's fascinating. Whether that cloud was there for a day, and then it was up and gone. Oh, whoa, we just got here. You know, we got to move now. Or whether it was a year. We've been sitting in this place for a year. Is the cloud going to move? It didn't matter what the circumstances were around them. They might have just went out and got food for a week. They might not think they have food to last them for another month. They don't, all the circumstances, they may think enemies are in the territory. You can survey all of your circumstances and it'll serve you well to do that as it is stewardship and wise usefulness in your walk. But as you survey your surroundings and your circumstances and you do the things that you know to do, at the end of all of that, you just don't put it where, in a place above wherever God's presence is that there you should be. And if God's moving you, you move. And if you feel like moving but you know he's not ready to move you, then you don't move. It's as simple as that. You know, Moses goes on to say in Exodus 33, whenever he's on uh, Mount Sinai, and God speaks to him and says, the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and Prizite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and all the ites, and go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. So Moses responds in verse 13 through 18. He says, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. And then later on in verse 18 there, Moses says, please, God, show me your glory. So I'm picturing Moses. He's on Sinai. They've come out of Egypt. They've already faced enormous uh, challenges and crisis in the desert. They know they're heading to the promised land. God calls him up to Mount Sinai, and he says, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take you there. I'm going to take you to the land flowing with milk and honey. Go and lead the people, but I'm, I'm not going with you. And he says that because the, the people were just all caught up in sin, and they were just they were all messed up in their relationship with God and their view in God. And so he says, I'll send an angel. I'll send an angel, but I'm not, I'm not going to go with you. And you, you picture Moses, right? How excited would he have probably been? How many people would, would take that buyout right there? Right? Oh, I'm at the promised land. We're going. We're heading there. But Moses, without even 
what appears to me without even blinking an eye. He says, forget it. No way. I don't want your angel. I want you, God. I want your presence to go with us. And if it doesn't, then please do not send us. Better to be in a desert with the presence of God than in the promised land without it. Right? Moses didn't even blink an eye. And then after God says, okay, I'll go with you. I'll go with you and I'll take you. What does he say? He says, please, God, show me your glory. It's like he's saying, I can't get enough of you, God. I just can't get enough of you. The promised land, it's great. The milk and honey, yeah, that's all awesome and wonderful. But look, God, I just want more of you. I just want more of you. You know, another challenge that sometimes people will have is they feel like, well, it's so difficult to just walk this out and be faithful and be obedient, you know, and do all the things that God is telling me to do when I'm going through this. It's, you know, in those times of those valleys and the transition, when your patience is tested, your, your stick-to-itiveness is tested as well, right? right. And, uh, you know, in 1 Kings chapter 8, Verses 20 and 21, Solomon is uh, basically celebrating. They've just built the temple that, that David had on his heart to build. And, of course, you know Solomon is the one that ended up building it. And he says, uh, in the temple, I have made a place for the ark in which the covenant of the Lord will, will stay. So it made it with our fathers. So the, the covenant, the tablets, the Ten Commandments are in the ark of the covenant. And I just really felt like when God, when I was reading this, God was just saying, you know, the, the, the ability to be obedient is from resting in the presence of God. You have your strength and your fortitude to be able to walk out the difficult parts of everything, to be able to be obedient, it's not going to be in your own strength. It's just going to be from being in my presence and spending time with me. The ark represents God's presence. The tablets represent the law, the obedience. The tablets were inside the ark. Obedience flowed out of, rested in the presence of God. Right. Start winding this down. One of the, the scriptures that starts to really sum this up, this, this season, and, and just put so much definition for, uh, to it for me is in Isaiah chapter 28 verses 23 through 29 and I like to read that in the message Bible if we could put that up there it says listen to me now give me your closest attention do farmers plow and plow and do nothing but plow or harrow and harrow and do nothing but harrow after they've prepared the ground don't they plant don't they scatter dill and spread cumin, plant wheat and barley in the fields and raspberries along the borders? They know exactly what to do and when to do it. Their God is their teacher. And at the harvest, the delicate herbs and spices, the dill and the cumin are treated delicately. On the other hand, wheat is threshed and milled, but still not endlessly. The farmer knows how to treat each kind of grain. He learned it all from God of the angel armies, who knows everything about how and when and where and it's you know the farmers 
have to plow the ground. They have to break up the soil to loosen it so that when they plant the seed, it'll be able to take root. It'll be able to germinate in healthy soil. If the soil isn't plowed enough and it's hard or it's clumpy, then the, seed, the, the more seed can't penetrate. But he says once it's been plowed, once it's loosened up to the place it needs to get, there's no point to keep going. Do I need, does he need to plow endlessly? No. He does it until it's been prepared, and then it's time to plant the seed. You know, we go through these valleys and these times of transition, these seasons where it seems like it's just, a, it's just dragging or it's just not moving into the place that God has already kind of showed us it's supposed to move into. But God is the one that knows how and when and where. And so he knows if he still has some plowing to do to loosen the soil of your heart so that the things he wants to plant and the seeds that need to take root and the things that will be, be able to grow out of your life and the harvest that will come, God knows exactly when those seasons are ready to transition, when the time is done to continue plowing and then the time is ready to plant and then once he's planted, then there's going to be a harvest. And then those things are treated differently depending on what they were. And God understands, not us, the details about how and when and where. And we just have to realize that if we're still going through this period of transition, this time where it's just not there, but we know that we're ready to be there, that God knows better than we, and there's still things that he has to do and work out in us to prepare us so that the fullness of the harvest and the things that he wants to do in our life can be brought forth. And if we try to set the pace and set the rudder on the times and when and, and all of that, all we do is compromise the fullness of the harvest that God wants to do when we lay our own hand to it. Just some overarching lessons. You know, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Then he goes on in verse 11, after he goes through all the different seasons, a time to tear, time to sow, time to gain, a time to lose. Some awesome stuff in there. But he goes on to say in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and also he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. There is a time a season for every purpose under heaven that God sets forth. But the key is, is that it's beautiful in its time, in its season. And if we try to bring a thing to pass and bring a thing to be before it's really ready, it's gone through the preparation or the incubation or all of the things that need to happen, and we try to bring it to pass, it's not going to be a beautiful thing. Even the difficult times in their season can be beautiful if we choose to see them that way. Because we know that it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's time. And it's, it's time if God is declaring that we go through it and that we walk through it right now. But when pleasure itself is pursued, it's an endless pursuit. 
But when God's presence is the ultimate pursuit, that's when the Psalm 1611 joy is found. The beauty of the things and, and the pleasure are just a result of treating that time with God and that being in his presence and that relationship and that fellowship with him as the ultimate priority. And he says it's, it's in heart for eternity. And I believe that that's very much that heart for God, that heart for the eternal things, the things that the Father would have for us to do and that he would want to do through us. But if we don't have a heart for eternity, we can miss a beautiful thing when it's in its season because we're not seeing it for what it is. Abiding in his presence produces a rhythm of grace that we walk in and that we flow in and fruit is just bore out of us in our lives continuously regardless of what season it is. Makes no difference. That's meant to be in an everyday, ongoing, constant thing. You know, just some things that I have learned in going through that transition and coming out of a place and going into a place that I think are just so important and I, I know I'll take with me wherever I go. The way you come out of a place is equally important, if not more important than how you walk into a place and how you arrive there. You are to walk out and arrive in excellence. You are to have favor with men where you were and where you're going. And if the way you put your hand to something to speed up or slow down, whatever the things that God is doing in the transition, if the way you put your hand to it causes you to not have favor with men and, and for your influence to begin to be compromised, that should be a surefire sign to you that somewhere along the line you've, you've just gotten a little bit off course or you've gotten a little bit out from under that cloud that was resting or moving and you didn't go. Does what you will do carry weight with those that you've passed by to get there? Because when you arrive, that's not going to be your last stop either. There's a continuous process of changing and transition in our lives and the seasons of our lives, right? We see our kids grow up. You know, I think about my kids and, and the way that they love on their dad and the way they snuggle and cuddle and, man, it just, I, I don't think I could really even talk too much about it. It just gets me so choked up, you know, and I think about how those things are just a short window of time, short, just a couple years maybe that I have for that. I'm just cherishing it and enjoying it while it's here. But, you know, as that thing comes to an end, there'll be a whole new beautiful thing in its season when those kids begin to have more heartfelt conversation with their dad and we have a different relationship and we do new things and new different things together and that will be beautiful in its time just as the things are now we just don't want to be in a hurry to pass by and there are always going to be things that we'll miss about it and cherish I close with this. You know, in Job, 
Job went through more adversity and difficulty, I dare to say, than any of us probably have been through, if you could compare that kind of stuff. And Job spent a lot of time during those challenging moments just pleading with God for understanding of what was happening and what was going on. And Job even began to get frustrated a little bit with God. He never denied God, never turned his back on God, but he got, he got frustrated, you know, and he began to, like, well, it's this or it's that, you know, and trying to put reason to it and figure out why he wasn't coming out of this thing yet, why, why all this is happening. You know, God was real patient with him through all that. But in chapter 38, verse 4, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You know, I just wanted to close with this because I feel like it's okay. I want to just say to you, and it's, it's my heart to say that it's okay to struggle through the valleys and the transitions. It's okay to have some different emotions and feelings that will sometimes rise up in you and you have a tendency to maybe get frustrated or want to move too quickly or force a thing along. That's just our human nature. But that's where it has to stop. It can't become a thing that dictates your actions and your behavior. You've got to rule your spirit man. And your spirit man has to rise up above the soul and the flesh and the emotions and all the thoughts that go through your mind and say, no, this is God and I am a man. And he knows what he's doing. And if I'm resting in his presence and I'm walking with him and seeking after him, then it just really makes no difference how it has to be. God just, it's almost like he just really made sure he got his point across. He said, Job, you know, I love you. I understand. But look, were you there when I formed the earth? Do you really have understanding because Job is saying you know it's this it's that and he's making all these speculations do you really have understanding it's almost like he just put him in his place just kind of gave him a proper view just a little correction to help him get his focus right to understand where his thoughts and his ideas and his plans stood in comparison to what God had laid before him and had planned for him you know, this is the kind of message that it's, some folks are, are, I know, probably really going through something like this, and you're ready to move on to that next thing, and you're just chomping at the bit, you know, you just can't wait to get there, and it's coming. God's shown you parts of it, but I just want to plead with you. I just want to just stress to you, do it God's way. Walk God's path. Don't thwart, as Saul did, the things that God is preparing and planning for you because you just can't keep your hands off of it. And for those that maybe you're not in that place right now or maybe you've come out of it, I would just say, as I have found as a leader, and we're building leaders tonight, 
that if you can help a brother or a sister walk through something like this, and gain understanding about a thing like this, the way that God has given it to us and revealed it to us, to help them stay the course and lay hold in the right time and when and where and how the things that God is doing for them. There will be rejoicing in heaven as kingdom purposes are magnified and things on earth begin to happen as they are in heaven through that person's life.